0: And it's live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm Jake. And I'm Anne. And on this podcast, we look at the kind of ethical questions you might ask in your day-to-day life, such as, are you a bad person if you work at Facebook? Or, in today's episode, back on the theme of social media, were Twitter and Facebook wrong to ban President Trump?
1: So we're saying we're long-time friends, founded a business together called Stasher. Check it out. Uh, we met studying a mix of philosophy and economics back at Oxford uh, longer than I care to admit ago. We aim in this podcast not to tell you what to think. It's more about how to take a structured approach to uh, these sort of questions. How do we break them down? Uh, how do you go about getting to an answer that you're happy with, uh, if indeed it exists? We're big fans of Nuance, so you know we'll ask seemingly controversial questions, but really it's, it's about digging into
0: each side. On today's show, we're trying something new. So we mentioned this at the end of last episode, the show's growth has surpassed our expectation which is pretty cool and now we're going to start bringing guests on so hopefully that will mean we get more expertise on the context of what we're discussing and it'll introduce you guys and and us to fresh perspectives so on today's show we've got a couple of guests coming up for you
1: yeah jake and i were sick of agreeing with each other (laughs) and please please genuinely let us know your thoughts if you preferred the old format then let us know and you know so it's all for you guys anyway our first is Peter Suchu. Uh, he's a tech journalist. Uh, his work has appeared in Forbes, Reuters, Fox News, uh, among many others. Uh, he's covered social media for a while now, particularly at Forbes, and he recently published an article in Forbes that was titled, Do social media companies have the right to silence the
0: masses? And is this censoring the government? Very on topic. Uh, we'll also be joined by Alex Kantrovitz. Alex is the host of Big Technology Podcast. He's a writer who started out at BuzzFeed. He's written a cool book called Always Day One and it's about the mindset of the big tech titans and he lives in Silicon Valley and he's often interviewing them. Those are two separate interviews. We'll cut to both of those now and then we'll bring it back and give you mine and Anthony's thoughts. Today we are joined by Peter Suchu. Peter, I'll hand over to you to introduce yourself to our audience. I am an
2: American freelance uh, reporter. I cover social media on a regular basis for Forbes. I also cover military technology for the national interest.
0: Nice. Well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Uh, yeah, we'll thank dive... you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll dive right into this topic. So as almost all our listeners will be aware, in the last fortnight, President Trump's Twitter account was suspended, and he was also banned from Facebook. And obviously, it's not just Trump who face bans. There's a, there's a lot more that's been going on in this sort of wave of censorship. uh, That might not be the right word. We can get into that. But basically, all this happened in the wake of the events that took place at Capitol Hill on the 6th of January. Peter, could you give our listeners a little bit more context on those events and and the bans themselves and what's all going on here?
2: Absolutely. Well, you use the the big C word, censorship, and uh, it's thrown around quite a bit in the United States. Um, I certainly see it on forums. I see it on social media. Anytime anybody's banned... They use the word censorship. They claim it's a First Amendment right. In the United States, the First Amendment actually protects free speech from the government. It's, it allows a free press, free speech from what the public says that the government cannot censor them. The same does not hold true of private companies. An analogy I use many times is to suggest that if eBay doesn't allow certain things, whether it's pornography, uh, Nazi memorabilia. uh, Pornographic Nazi memorabilia. (laughs) Yes, so if, if those things are banned on eBay, that is not a first amendment issue. It's not a censorship issue. It's the same as McDonald's saying, no shoes, no service. You have to abide by the rules. So that's something that people have a, a real hard time getting their head around, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or some of these other things. So really, that's where the censorship, if, if we're going to use you know the air quotes censorship, mm-hmm. that's where that comes into play. Mm -hmm. Where I think we're seeing what's really fascinating about this particular case is this is a case right now where a company had basically sought to silence a government official. And whether you agree if you're a Trump supporter or a Trump opponent, it still seems to me to be a dangerous precedent that a government official, regardless of what they were saying, was silenced by the media that sets a situation where the power of the media becomes far greater than what the government would have ever expected now maybe some would say hey that's that's what we want we want a free and open press but it's that the press's role has been and as a reporter i certainly try to live by this the press's role is to take an unbiased picture snapshot and tell that story to the readers to spread information. Now I, I do understand that in the case of uh, former president Trump, many of his supporters, there certainly was a lot of misinformation. And we've seen that that has been the dangerous trend with social media is this spread of misinformation. I
1: think that there's a few points there that I think are quite interesting that I want to follow up on that. That was a, a great kind of bit of context, by the way. Um, So I think the first question I have around that eBay analogy you gave, um, what happens when eBay becomes Amazon and Amazon is your primary way of purchasing, you know, everything in your life? You know, you could argue that pornography and not your memorabilia are kind of we could agree that they're reasonable. What happens when Amazon more arguably arbitrarily starts to decide that people can't use their service. And, you know, legally, it's no different. It's that they're, it's, as long as it's not against the discrimination law, it's, you know, it's their private prerogative. And also, they're actually like an essential service, you could argue. It, you know, in some areas, it would be hard to access a lot of goods without a service like
0: Amazon. That's my, my first question. Just to, just to summarize that, you're kind of pointing at like when a private company starts imposing its own moral bias on a situation, Right. So I
1: think the example from eBay was, it, it certainly highlighted the kind of legal framework, but maybe it didn't carry so well because I think most people agree that those are reasonable limitations. And this is an example of where there's disagreement over what the reasonable limitation is. Fair? Okay.
2: Well, maybe yeah. we could and then jump the second part is be- if
1: the platform becomes, a, becomes so essential that it's more of a utility than like a private company, I could take a leave.
2: Okay, actually, that you, you, your second question was what I, was going to be my part of the answer to the first, and that is, when does a service become akin to a utility? Yeah. Uh, certainly, in the United States, the utilities, the electric companies, they started out very much as as you described. They were the Amazon of the time. If if you mm-hmm. wanted electrical power, uh, there were in some cities competing services that provided this. So I think what we've seen is when I bring up the analogy of the, the eBay being like McDonald's, we're certainly seeing that right now Amazon is reaching the point of utility. Will they need to fall into some regulations so that they're not just selling Big Macs? You know, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here and mixing companies and I understand that. I guess the question then becomes, would an eBay become that competitor to Amazon and are rules needed to be put in place that you can't just sell one, one line of laundry detergent. You know, I, I think that's where the concern becomes is that Amazon now starts making these deals with companies. Okay. We're only going to sell Tide and we're only going to sell Pepsi Cola and Coke. You're out of the, you're, you can't get it here. That would be the concern. But to be honest, I don't know if that would ever happen because in a free market society, especially in the United States and Western Europe and other places around the world, consumers really like the choice. So I, I think as long as consumers want the choice, Amazon is going to sell those products. Now, we have seen that Amazon has pulled the Qion uh, Conspiracy Theory products, But you could still go on Amazon today and buy an Impeach Biden (laughs) t-shirt and just as easily as you could have bought two weeks ago an Impeach
0: Trump t-shirt. So I think we're still seeing that stuff available. Just a quick point on Amazon. I I think another thing that's interesting, and obviously they also control AWS, right? And one of the big things they did in the wake of um, Trump being banned and suspended was they they basically shut down the servers of Parler, didn't they?
1: Correct. Which is, I mean, I guess by analogy, it's the equivalent of just like, shutting off the electricity to you know, your competitor's factory or, or exactly. someone you don't like
0: or someone you don't agree with's factory. And this is where what? the line between service and utility definitely blurs because access to the internet is more and more of a like essential utility in this day and age. And that's where I think in the case of social media, it also gets really interesting because I guess what you're kind of pointing at there, Peter, was certainly something like Facebook has massive, massive influence on the news and information that people consume right that's that's an area where it does start to get really really interesting and the lines start to blur i have a question from peter's first initial context
1: and it kind of leads us to the next question mm. um so so I'll, I'll start with the next question which is um why, why now why the events of of the 6th of january um like why why has all of this happened you know at this moment in time and I actually, while, while thinking about your first response, kind of had an initial question that that might go some way to answer this, and I want to get your view on it. So you you mentioned that one of the major concerns is that these are platforms silencing government, in a sense, right? But that made, immediately made me think, can the reason that this has happened now be something to do with the fact that, you know, de facto, uh, Trump no longer really was government? Obviously, he was still technically president, but at the point where you've lost the election and we're basically filling time between now and the inauguration at that point, um, there's, there can kind of be a view that, you know, it, it's practically ceremonial. That the, I mean, you can still do stuff and obviously it tends to be a time where people sign a lot of executive orders and pardons and things like that. But as far as everyone's concerned, you're no longer you know, de facto the president, if you know what I mean.
2: We have a term for that, lame duck. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. The misinformation that spread, the fact that uh, President Trump refused to concede uh, is certainly a black mark on American democracy. And he certainly riled up the movement. Back to the social media aspect, I've written about this. One of the things I called out was how many liberal activists, Alyssa Milano being key among them, took to social media after the election and said, I'm willing to reach out my olive branch to the other side. And again, I find that extremely insulting, extremely disingenuous, regardless of which side you're on, because if things had gone the other way, I very much doubt she would have said, okay, my guy lost. Here's an olive branch. I'm willing to see what you can do she would have happily remained part of the resistance. <laughs> I had called before the election and had, had kind of reached out to my liberal friends as well as my conservative friends with the argument, we're all Americans. And what I found to be shocking just weeks before the election was one group says, no, we'll never support fascism. And the other group says, no, we'll never support socialism. So as a centralist, I'm seeing that both sides have no willingness to work with the other side. And this is all just being intensified on social media. And I think where some of the anger we're seeing now is that Amazon's web services did shut down Parler, which, by the way, was actually meant to be pronounced Parlay, but Americans pronounce things as they're spelled. So we really (laughs)
0: couldn't get around the Parlay. I didn't
1: realize it was intended to be uh, French.
0: yes. Interesting. Do you think Ant's right then? Do you think there is an argument that there's no way they would have chosen to silence Trump ahead of the election? I suppose that would have caused complete outrage, but it got to this point in time, there's such little time left in his presidency and he's he's sort of crossed a line, right? I think it's you see even people uh, are on both sides of the spectrum saying... The events of the Capitol were shameful and incitement to violence seems to be a fairly obvious or easy line to draw if you are going to set a moral marker. It is crazy. They would have had so many opportunities before now to, to limit, ban or silence some of the stuff that he said and the misinformation that he spread. But uh, I suppose they've kind of left it to this point where there's less for them to lose. I mean, we're,
1: we're a a podcast that you know touches many things, but focuses heavily on moral perspectives. So I think it would be interesting just to kind of ask the outright question. Do you think that social media in this context was right, was doing the right thing?
2: Yes, I, I think that Trump absolutely crossed the line. The spreading of misinformation, the arguing that the election was stolen when the evidence wasn't there certainly crossed the line. There, There is absolutely no doubt about it. I think, if anything, I really believe we need more filters on our elected officials, Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to social media. I think one of the problems we've had is that it's it's such a new platform relatively. uh, I mean, yeah, there's those of us that have used Facebook or Twitter since the since day one. But uh, it really was after 2016, after the election and then 2017, when, when he took the office, that the president just kept tweeting. And I mean, I, I know many supporters of the president even said, you got to stop tweeting. And it was hoped he would stop tweeting. I mean, South Park made a whole episode <laughs> about the caricature version of Trump just taking to social media. And the, the whole point of the show was we just wish he would tweet less. The the truth of the matter is that politicians were used to seeing them come out and seem polished and You know, maybe they're not always as articulate. Certainly George W. Bush and Joe Biden are not the orders of the ages that a Barack Obama was, but these were prepared, they were crafted, they were refined. And you can even see when Trump would speak, even at the last State of the Union, when he was reading, he was articulate, he seemed presidential. When he went off script, he sounded like Donald Trump. And I think the <laughs> problem with social media with Donald Trump, and I'm worried about future politicians and I mean maybe there's people that that want their politicians to sound real, and certainly that was the appeal of a Donald Trump to a large part of his base with social media it's all too easy to have a very one sided conversation and believe mm. that you're articulate that you're polished, that you're funny when you need to be, that you're serious when you need to be and that you're making your point. And I I think that's a problem with social media is that people there's no filter. There's no filter. And people say what they're going to say and just keep talking. And that's a problem. I I have a question on that front, actually, uh, particularly relevant since you're a
1: journalist. You, you're correct. Social media is new, but but the spread of information isn't new uh, and the spread of disinformation for political gain isn't new. I think the, the famous example that people always give uh, is the campaigning between Adams and Jefferson. Basically, they just you know, were writing a bunch of slander about each other via newspapers, which ultimately had some pretty negative effects on their partners and on their um, following and overall on disunity. How do you think media has, has kind of navigated that territory? And how do you think that those learnings could be applied to social media?
2: Well, I think that's one of the problems, too. Um, one of the stories I've written for Forbes was that nearly three quarters of Americans get some of their news from social media. Mm. As a reporter, as a journalist, as somebody who takes credibility journalistic ethics very seriously i find that to be very concerning when i do articles a lot of times you know i'm talking to sources i'm vetting what they're saying if i talk to a source and he says nasa has a base on the moon i don't run with it like our grocery store tabloids you know in mm. a you know, nasa's on the moon working with aliens that has to be vetted that has to be checked that has to be confirmed And the problem with social media is that it has allowed many people just to repeatedly share what they read Mm. just because you heard it from somebody doesn't make it factually true. And I think the flip side of the coin is as. Everybody's trying to get more eyeballs. We see many reporters trying to be relevant on social media.
0: The, the difference is that social media is, is sort of open to, to anyone. Like content can come from anyone, anywhere. There's, no, there's nobody who's being held to account in the same way that journalists are, right? So it, it, and the
1: way that good journalism spreads is via maintaining and building a good reputation and for, integrity for high integrity, reliable journalism, whereas social media disproportionately benefits... Uh, shock value
0: so it is it is actually quite tricky to, to map what works for sort of regulating media into what works for regulating social media can i can i interject with a cynical hypothesis i think i thought you asked and then you've just gone ahead and done it mate. <laughs> yeah well I, I i have a sneaking suspicion that their decision to ban trump potentially comes from the fact that they're trying to court favor with the left after the senate vote went the way that it did so yeah the timing is completely aligned, right? Obviously, that happened, and then and then everything at the Capitol happened, and it all happened in quite a short space of time. And Facebook, in particular, Zuckerberg's done a lot to court favor with Republicans, Trump, and, and, and everything in, in the last few years. I do wonder, cynically, if it's possible that that's actually what's guided their decision.
2: I will add that I think, uh, and as a matter of disclosure, full disclosure— I did work on staff at Fox News in the late 90s, and I still am an occasional contributor to foxnews.com. So I I do want that out there as a full disclosure. Over the years, I've also contributed to MSNBC. I've appeared on CNN. So uh, I try to be as uh, unbiased as possible. But the cynical part of me also has to jump in and interject and say, remember that it was the Bernie Sanders and the Elizabeth Warrens and others that have called for a breakup of Facebook and has questioned whether Amazon has gotten too big and whether Google is certainly too big. So I do have to wonder if the tech sector wasn't being anti-Trump to get some favor back from the left you know like hey mm. uh senator warren look we we silence the guy are you sure you want to break us up and yeah. again that's you know that's that's my cynical take on it i'm not saying this necessarily as a reporter i'm saying this as cynical peter about this so so to take it to the question i asked
1: a couple of questions ago then from from what you've said is it fair to say that then you think that in this specific context it was the right thing to do and it sounded like your main premise was not on some basis of principles or fundamental rights. It was more on practicality. Trump had crossed the line and the risk of danger uh, was too significantly high.
2: At this point, Trump needed to be silenced. I do think he incited a serious protest. Did he actually incite violence? I don't know if I could make that argument. He certainly crossed the line in getting the the, the crowd going. Yeah. Though I have to say... I'm one of those people that's cynical too. that wonders what the intent was in advance. Would this have happened anyway? I mean, when we're seeing that there were pipe bombs that uh, these people were armed, that they had uh, the, the hand zip ties for handcuffs. Like those those aren't
1: responses to his talk at whatever time on Wednesday, right? No, there was some, there
0: definitely was some planning there. Peter, did you have any closing thoughts or anything you wanted to share
2: Only thing I can say is that I think if we're going to see any unity in the United States, that perhaps the rhetoric from both sides needs to be toned down, not just from our leaders, but uh, the comments on social media. I Mm. I think if you really want to heal in the United States and bring back some unity, uh, we can't. Just constantly tweet out our opinions. It used to be said that in polite company, you didn't talk about politics, you didn't talk about religion. People don't talk much about religion on social media, but politics dominates right now. And maybe, you know, Twitter and Facebook and others, they don't have to ban it, but maybe if they had a campaign, be nice, let's not share politics on social media. Maybe if we were just, can we try a week? a week of not complaining about politicians or pushing our agenda on social media. Maybe if we just did something like that, we could come back to unity.
0: I wonder, I wonder if that's something we could ever get going, but um, no, I think that's completely true. Perhaps banning uh, as a measure is too strong a way to go, but certainly some steps need to be taken to tone, tone down the, the content of, uh, of conversation around it. There's a whole nother line we could go down around, why social media business models uh, contradict that, but that's, uh, that's for a different thing. Peter, thank you so much. It's been, it's been a thank real you. pleasure chatting to you. Yeah, All great right. to catch up. Cheers, mate.
3: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget
2: the
0: frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling, Uh, Alex, it'd be great if you could just give our audience a quick introduction about yourself and then uh, then we'll ask you the headline question.
3: Yeah, hey everyone. I uh, run a publication called Big Technology. It's dedicated to covering Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft. Uh, a few companies you may have heard of uh, with hmm. honest and non-ideological uh, uh, perspective. And if you like podcasts, I also run the Big Technology Podcast. It's just Big Technology Podcast on your podcast app of choice. We have an interview with a insider or outside agitator every wednesday oh that's cool i need to check that out i haven't listened to it yet oh it's good man yeah it's good so Alex listen to jacob he knows what he's talking about <laughs> <laughs>
0: all of you all of you listen to jacob <laughs> so alex uh let's kick things off with the big question facebook and twitter uh, banned trump president ex-president trump in the last fortnight was that the right move
3: yeah i mean it, it's a decision that is a tough one to make I certainly understand it. It's tough to get into right or wrong. I mean, I guess, you know, given the situation the United States was in last week, it would be hard to justify keeping him on the platform. I mean, he just used Twitter and his speech to send a bunch of people to the Capitol uh, in the middle of the election counting process. I mean, what did the guy think was going to happen? And after the, riot happened he said well this is just what happens when an election is stolen so it would be really difficult for a company like facebook or twitter to allow trump to stay on the platform where democracy is delicate and we were going through what should have been the peaceful transfer of power and we still had another 14 days left after that riot and we know the guy's impulsive and probably would have tweeted some ridiculous stuff (laughs) uh, in those two Mm -hmm. weeks and so i think what jack dorsey and mark zuckerberg and their teams did was kind of look and say can we enable this and can we allow this to happen on our on our platform and made the call in the moment i think it was okay i know you guys want want you know uh uh, head-on answers so let me just say this in the moment i think it was the right choice because i I just think banning someone permanently is is uh is a pretty significant move Mm. uh and it's i don't know if i would have been comfortable giving the lifetime ban right away, to be honest. Mm. It's interesting that you said
1: that, because I think the one thing that I kind of picked up from what you're saying there was that basically it sounds like you're making a kind of means to ends uh, based uh, argument as to how you determine whether it's right or wrong, right? Which is highly contingent. And you're basically saying in this specific circumstance, it looked like the erosion to democracy and, you know, literal like risk of violence. violence. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, justified it which i think is is totally fair and i think my my initial response is that if uh, you've kind of touched on it but if that's your argument then that seems to justify banning you know for a month it doesn't necessarily justify banning indefinitely right permanently
3: which twitter did permanent a permanent ban. Mm -hmm.
0: And a related thing: Was it the right move to ban him at that time? The the timing, I think, is is significant. Uh, and this is something Anton and I have already talked about a little bit: is um, they have had opportunities to do this before, right? This isn't the first crazy stuff that Trump has spouted online. Um, what do you make of their decision to do this? And is it just like morally they crossed? He crossed a line at this point, or or is there more going on?
3: I wouldn't have done it earlier. Uh, okay. I I do think that. They rightly did not have a quick trigger finger with this guy. It sets a, a bad precedent if you you know, remove the president of the United States or any elected leader. These platforms, no matter what who the president is or what they say, are going to be in, under tremendous pressure from very well-organized groups to remove or take away the distribution from political leaders. Uh, the people who oppose these political leaders will always say, that the platforms are giving them too much of a voice and they need to be strong and you have to get uncomfortable sometimes with what politicians say, because you can't pretend like they didn't say it. And I think the nation does have uh, uh, an interest in knowing what they're saying. I think that once, so all these platforms, so I'm I'm here in Silicon Valley and I spend a lot of time talking with these platforms about their rules and all these platforms have a rule that's uh, if your post is about to cause imminent harm, you're gone. And they waited until the post was basically without any question about to cause imminent harm. I mean, those people in the Capitol almost hung Mike Pence as he hmm. was certifying the election. I think that's an appropriate place for the line to be drawn.
1: So I, I have a question on that. I believe you used the word
3: distribution somewhere along your description of the social media platforms, right? See, I knew you guys were smart. You're picking up on, on the good stuff right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> do you, So do you think... Do you think that, you know, hypothetically, there's a moral distinction between um, a platform that distributes and a platform
3: that selects content and, and recommends it? Well, it's it's um, those are two, two sides of the same coin. Right. I mean, you know, you select content with an algorithm, um, you distribute content through a feed. Um, that's essentially what these companies are doing. I think there is something to be said about someone's freedom to be able to say something on their own page. But the distribution to me is is the interesting thing. And this is an important point. Um, these platforms, we talk a lot about their content moderation actions. Mm-hmm. Did they ban Trump? Did they take down this group? We spend almost no time at all speaking about the mechanisms through which they changed the discussion in society. And what they've done is we talk about distribution, right? They've built this frictionless sharing system through the retweet and the share button that totally changes the way that humans tend to pass along information. So when we're talking, all right, or or when I'm going to email something to someone, we put thought into what we say. Of course, like we'll talk by by emotion and people get angry, but generally people are thoughtful uh, in what they say. You have to think about something before it comes out of your mouth, however crazy that sounds, because, you know, it it all feels instantaneous. For most people anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know, okay, I know it doesn't apply across the board, but most people, you know. Most (laughs) Most people are talking. Yeah, exactly. But even when you're, okay, let me let me say this, since we're going to get philosophical. Mm. Even when you're running your mouth, that's you. That's Mm. coming out from you. What the social media platforms do is it takes someone else's speech uh, and it amplifies it through you. Like if I'm going to say, hey, answer, hey, Jacob, let me tell you something that I heard from somebody, right? I have to take that in my mind and reconcile what it means and then pass it along to you guys, right? This is sort of how stories have been passed along throughout our society. But what the retreat button does is it takes any hesitation, any thoughtfulness about, hey, should I actually share this with you guys? What do I think about this? And if something sparks an emotion in me, I'm just going to hit that button and it will amplify and spiral. And that's how things go viral online. And that's terrible. Because what it what it does is, okay, let's take an example. I have a link that says Hillary Clinton is a space alien. I know she's <laughs> not a space alien, but if I, okay, let's take it three ways. Am I going to tell you guys Hillary is from space and like believe that? No. Okay. We know it's not true. I'm not going to say it with my own words. Am I going to like take that link and copy it and paste it in a compose box and then post it under my name with my picture on Facebook or Twitter? Okay. It's possible, but um, there you still have to go through that. That, that process of, of thinking mm-hmm. it through and do actually want to tell people? Because if I do, I'm going to lose credibility. I'm going to sound nuts. okay But when a post in my feed comes along and it says Hillary is a space alien and I go to myself, I hate Hillary, retweet. <laughs> all of a sudden, I've passed along a thing I never would have under my own name because it would have harmed my credibility and now it's going to all the people that I know. okay Or so aggregated so- there on Facebook. And so wh- mm-hmm. I'll just put a bow on it. When we talk about distribution, I believe that this is the most important thing. More than bands, okay, More than content moderation. These companies are addicted to the quick sharing that we do that has totally changed the way that humans communicate. And that is the, the main issue, in my opinion, is we need to slow the conversation down on social media and add more mm-hmm. thoughtfulness to it. And we're not going to solve any problems by taking one person off the platform.
0: I, I have a really interesting quote interesting. on that because Dorsey himself said... I feel the ban on Trump is a failure of ours to ultimately promote healthy conversation. And
3: that seems to be exactly what you're saying there, right? That's it? Yep, That's it. Yeah. He, he's, he's saying exactly what he should be saying, which is that I don't like the fact that we did this, but I back up my team. And ultimately, this is a product of the thing that we did that was wrong. The question is, does Twitter have the will to actually fix any of this stuff? They know exactly what the problem is. Because before the election... They actually uh, pulled back the retweet a little bit. They they stopped the native retweet and made you go through another step if you wanted to pass along something. Otherwise, you can quote it under your name. What happened? Of course, retweets fell. And when when there was a twenty percent drop in retweets, and mm-hmm. when Twitter ended this experiment, it said, "Well, people retweeted less, so it wasn't a good experiment." <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they didn't put a lot of uh, 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 words on their quote tweet, so they must not have liked it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? You, you for years, Twitter have talked about how conversational health is the most important part of your platform. And now you don't mm. mention conversational health at all. Uh, all you mention is decline in retweets. That sure. is a sign of an addict that they need this stuff for their business and they won't do anything mm. about it. And so Jack Dorsey, if Jack is listening a challenge to you, Jack, <laughs> what are you, what are you do? What are you going to do about it? Cause it's one thing to say, Hey, listen, Uh, We shouldn't have had this on our platform. And it's another thing to fix the underlying machinery that made it so. And I've been here for almost six years. And I covered Twitter before that when I was in New York. And I know the people that work there, I think they're good people. But I I have lost faith that this company will actually make meaningful changes to its product that will protect us, the users and us as society from the damage that it's doing. So then to bring that
1: to the question, do you think that social media platforms Hold a different moral position to say, you know, newspapers or libraries in their role as distributors?
3: No doubt. Look, okay, I'm a member of the media. We know it's not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Media gets things wrong all the time. Media gets had, media gets conned, and media can be biased. So I don't think I hold up the media as this perfect ideal and say, why can't Twitter be more like the newspaper?
1: Oh, no, no. Um, just just oh, it, saying that they're different, yeah. but, but, that Twitter is, you, you basically yeah. said it implicitly in what, a lot of what you're mm. saying, but that Twitter is culpable or, or morally responsible for a lot of the outcomes, as opposed to, you know, for I think a lot of these platforms take the stance that, oh, we're just, you know, we're just distribution networks. And like, if people are bad, that's not our fault. Yeah, actually, and I
3: think that that the is bullshit because the way that you structure the platform actually makes a difference in terms of what it spits out. You'll have a different experience on TikTok from the one you'll have on Twitter, from the one that you'll have on Facebook, you know, from the one that you'll have on YouTube. So if they're all mirrors to society, why do we look so different depending on the platform we, we open? Yeah. And it's because unless a mirror is perfectly designed, it will not reflect humanity. It will distort. So a I think we nice have metaphor. a problem here yeah. in Silicon Valley where these folks need to stop saying that it's just people. Of course, mm. it's people at the core, right? It's people using these products. It's not, Trump isn't an AI. Trump far isn't even right. an I. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but that said, they do incentivize certain behaviors and certain actions yeah. and yeah, there's a responsibility there because what I'm... they've done is empowered the fringe they, they are addressing these issues with content moderation and and aren't introspecting in the way that they need to be. So I have a kind of follow-up question here then.
1: Um, initially we were asking, is it the right thing to, to drop Trump? And this kind of discussion now has kind of led me to a, to a follow on, which is, was Twitter doing the right thing? Now that the kind of the loaded pretext there is that, you know, I'm presupposing that the reason that you do something matters to whether it's right or not. So do you think that Twitter is doing this for the right reasons?
0: I and mean, what you're saying there
1: oh, is, yeah. motives is sort of corrupted, right? Or I, I, I'm saying that there's, there's an argument that's understandable. I mean, it's hard to know someone's motives, but, you know.
3: Yeah, I, I would be hesitant to uh, imply intent or to try to guess the intent here. But I can tell mm. you about the factors that are involved. You have a board, right? You know, a board mm. will certainly uh, weigh in if you allow someone to you know, and, you know, try to end democracy through your platform. (laughs) Uh, You have employees uh, and and you have a duty to the public. So I I think that these considerations and your business, of course, and I think all these considerations were, were in play throughout the whole thing. And then eventually I think Twitter realized that there was no possible universe in which it could allow Trump to remain on from any, Mm. any, any possible angle, you know, what happened? Okay. Let's, let's do a fun hypothetical. Twitter, Twitter keeps Trump on. He goes kicking and screaming. You know, maybe there's another riot before he leaves office. Now we're speaking today. You know, a couple of days after the inauguration, Democrats have the White House. Democrats have the House. Democrats have the Senate. Uh, mm. And they have the ability to to legislate and ability to push regulators in you know certain ways. If you're if you're Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg, do you really want to risk basically giving this platform to a guy who's already lost and just won't accept? the the result of the election and has a band of folks, you know, who, as Mm. they left the Capitol, by the way, said, when we come back, we're not going to be peaceful. (laughs) That's what they said. Next time Uh, we won't be peaceful. Yeah. Trump then told them they were very special. (laughs) Motives aside, I don't think there was any way that they could have done anything differently.
0: There's a, there's Mm. a cynical motive implied there too, though, right? Which is, as you said about the Democrats taking power, because I think, I don't know if this applies so much to Dorsey as it does to Zuckerberg, but certainly they've been courting the conservative part of politics for a few years now right and now they've seen the fall from grace there they know that on the democratic left you've got the likes of elizabeth warren who has spoken openly about wanting to break up tech
1: i i'm presuming from the title of your um, publication that you are on the side of
3: breaking up big tech well look it depends how you break it up you know i'm on the side of building a healthy economy and Love that. Love that. So I don't think taking a sledgehammer indiscriminately is the right thing. Um, yeah. But if we can get to a place where we think that, you know, for instance, maybe cutting off Amazon web service from Amazon or even not letting these companies sell within their own marketplace gets mm. us to a place of better competition, then I'm in favor of it. I call the publication big technology because I think like all the other bigs, big government, big pharma, mm. big tobacco, <laughs> These are massive forces uh, that that need to be reckoned with. And there is a mm-hmm. conversation going on behind the scenes that for whatever reason, uh, the public doesn't hear about enough. And yeah. my goal is to is to bring that to the public. And this week was an example of that. We published an internal memo from a Facebook VP telling the employees that, you know, it's time for them to design privacy in mind. Mm-hmm. That was Buzz, uh, and, right? Andrew Buzz. Uh, Andrew Bosworth. Yeah, it was time for them to design with privacy in mind, and even if that meant uh, degrading the product experience, they needed to do that.
1: On the on the breaking up big tech
3: point, you know, say you do say, okay, social
1: networks, you know, Facebook, whatever, acts as a utility now in a competitive market where they aren't buying out people like Instagram. Uh, you know, basically saying either let me buy you or I will destroy you. You know, is is it actually a requirement that they function as utilities? Is is it a natural outcome of a competitive market?
0: Especially when you consider their reach and influence, right? They have yeah. over two billion people, so it's it's not limited just to America either. It is it's yeah. it really covers a broad swathe of the planet.
3: Yeah, I uh, do not think that they're utilities. I think that there there are companies that are susceptible to, to competition the way that the like electric company isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. When Zuckerberg went to Kevin Sistrom and said, you know, either you join or we crush you, mm-hmm. Kevin Sistrom could have said no. He said, yes. Okay, sold a company for a billion dollars. But well, um, could, you know, could have, he could have said no, but arguably would have been. Um,
1: so do we, do we not do enough to, for example, stop predatory practices between technology companies, uh, whether in terms of IP or other matters, to stop larger players basically making it impossible for smaller players to compete? Let, I mean, that's not you... a
0: new phenomenon, right, either. That's, that's exactly yeah. what Microsoft were guilty of years and years ago. But yeah, also, and they lost, gonna... they lost the
3: monopoly to, for that. Let me give you the, the counter-argument to all this, which is that Zuckerberg tried to do the same exact thing to Snapchat. He tried to give Evan Spiegel $3 billion for the company, and Evan Spiegel told him to take a hike. And then Zuckerberg went into what Kevin Sistrom very artfully called destroy mode, <laughs> and copied Snapchat's best feature, Stories, and put it into not only Instagram, but Facebook proper and WhatsApp and Messenger. Every product they could build it in, they build stories into. They literally went for the jugular with Snapchat. Can you turn Zuckerberg down? And can you resist destroy mode? And the Snapchat case study says yes. And I just typed in uh, the, the Snapchat stock ticker just so I could see its market cap as we speak. Mm, $80 billion. I did the $80 same. $80 billion. Dollars. So, so did Evan yeah. Spiegel make the right move turning down Mark Zuckerberg? and saying, all right, go in destroy mode. We don't care. Absolutely, he did. Actually, though, the comparable, the comparable
1: isn't the 3 billion, right? Uh, the comparable is, um, is what could have been, right? So if you take, for example, Instagram, Instagram's estimated market cap, if it were to be spun out, is over 100 billion, right? So that's about 100 times since joining Facebook. So you, there, there is an argument that actually, you know, yeah, Snapchat didn't disappear, but Snapchat's not a Facebook. It doesn't yeah. have a chance to, to truly compete
3: at that level. Well, there's, there's, yeah, because with Snapchat's not Facebook, but there's Snapchat and there's TikTok and yeah. tick, and Facebook is bleeding. Well, team TikTok, TikTok's, TikTok's cheating so, though,
1: right? TikTok's, um, they got the backing of um, all CCP, right? Well,
3: okay. So, so that, <laughs> I, yeah, of course, of course, listen, listen, but, but at the end of the day, it's like, does every company have some sort of unfair advantage? Sure. You know, how can you say if you can't compete with Facebook and yet again, and, And then you're saying, well, TikTok is, but it's cheating. What's, oh, I mean, TikTok is specific because of China. What's Snapchat's unfair advantage? I mean, they, they, unfair advantage is a good, good question. I think that at the end of the day, Spiegel's uh, dad was super rich. I mean, Spiegel (laughs) came from a, came from a nice background. That's for sure. Look, I, I mean, they don't have China on their side. Yeah. You know, but they do, what they do is they, they take a, they take a look at Facebook's, you know, top weakness, which is that, you know, it just feels like stuff there is creepy and permanent uh, and Snapchat can do it without the baggage. Okay. Maybe not unfair advantage, but the point is that you can still compete. And you talk about Instagram, you know, if Instagram spun out, it could be an a hundred billion dollar company. Yeah. I mean, so, so what you're saying basically either is that, and you can push back on this, but what I'm hearing is that, you know, Facebook added value to Instagram, right. In which case sort of make Facebook's case that it's actually good for invention. Because it's adding value to the economy versus taking it away, or you could just say, "Well, well you know, Instagram left that money on the table by deciding to to join Facebook, and that's on Cicero. But I mean, could you make
1: that exact same argument of most any tech monopolist? Because what what we see at the moment is that like monopoly takes a weird format, where you know, as opposed to the kind of classical model where we kind of think of of monopolist kind of being bad for the consumers. We're currently in a stage with many monopolies, Amazon included, where in order to build the monopoly, it's, you know, quote unquote, good for the consumers, right? Because they basically give stuff away at sub cost in order to build that position that no one else can compete with. The question is, when does, for example, their power and democracy become undue? When does it become impossible to compete with them?
3: Okay, so let me try to, to throw the needle here. There's a, an argument that these companies are utilities. And there's a different argument that these companies are too powerful, so that's what I'm trying to say. They're not mm-hmm. utilities. Facebook is losing teen users. Companies can't mm-hmm. exist outside of them doing something similar, like Snapchat is. Mm-hmm. Does it mean that they have that? Does that mean that they don't have undue influence on democracy? Does that mean that they're actually not monopolies? Monopoly and utility, two separate things. Um, I don't think that that's conclusive yet. So I think the points that you bring up are, uh, you know, particularly worthwhile and worth considering. I just stopped short at calling them a utility. Okay, bringing it back to the, to the problem
1: at hand around blocking Trump on Twitter then. So a lot of people have labeled this an issue of free speech. Do you think that's a fair characterization? Do you think not being allowed, being banned from these platforms is a limitation of free speech? Or is that not interpreting what free speech is correctly, as some people say?
3: Yeah, well, the, the First Amendment here gives the individual, you know, free speech, you know, they're allowed to talk and the government can't you know, imprison them or restrict that right. And so you can't say my free speech rights are being violated or I'm being censored when you're removed from a social media platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in a private company's living room essentially, and everybody else is trying to enjoy the party. Uh, and if you're being an <laughs> asshole, they can, tell you <laughs> um, but like, I, I don't think, I, I think that, um, we should also, uh, uh, consider the fact that when you do get removed from one of these platforms, you can disappear right now. Until we have alternative social media platforms that provide, uh, you know, healthy forms for discussion, unlike Parler, for instance, the Facebook and Twitter do actually control a large portion of the channels of speech. And that's got to be a little concerning as well.
0: And I think in essence, that's, I guess that's where we're driving at with the utility point is less the fact that it is functionally one, but it, it, it has so much influence that, as you say, if, you, if you're denied access to them, you can kind of disappear. But I think you're absolutely right. I think there is, there's a big distinction between access to platform and freedom of speech. And people are using them synonymously in the case of Trump. But I think, I think they are different things. So I think that's definitely worth highlighting as you've done.
3: Alex, is there any, any kind of final points you want to mention? I think you guys are asking the right questions. And it's refreshing to hear, you know, folks in society looking at this stuff and saying, you know, are these questions right or are they are they wrong? And having a nuanced discussion about it as opposed to uh, what we typically get, which is posturing and uh, mm-hmm. insults and mm-hmm. uh, people hitting the retweet that their political enemy is from space. So keep it up. Jake is Jake is and a then, secret
1: uh, lizard person who smells that. Yeah,
3: yeah, well, that we knew. Uh, <laughs> so but other than that, I feel like this conversation has been uh, fact-based and I <laughs> enjoyed it very much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome. Hey, thanks cheers, sure, Alex. Thanks. Thank you. All right.
1: Wow. Okay, cool. That was, that was interesting. And it's a new experience for us to have to then <laughs> record this after having spoken to them. We wanted to, to you know, allow the discussions to inform our own opinions before we chatted. Um, just a quick reminder, we don't add uh, formal ads into our podcasts. Um, we do have a Patreon. We're trying to build up to the point where we can afford to have uh, proper editing for our episodes. At the moment, it's it's just Jake. If you have any, <laughs> if you have any issues with it, then t- take it to him. Um, also a reminder, the businesses we run, Stasher, Luggage Storage all over the world. Uh, Tree points for carbon offsetting and earning rewards if you want to go carbon neutral. Also, sorry, the newsletter. We have a
0: newsletter now. Yeah. So please check those out. Subscribe to the newsletter. We'll have links in the show notes. Same for the Patreon. Cool. So just to wrap up this episode, we've had a lot of good opinions on the show. Uh, We've gone down some interesting tangents, but the core question, where where do you sit on that? Was it the right move to ban ex-president Trump and get used to saying ex-president? That's a nice feeling.
1: Yeah, it's nice. I'm looking forward to convict Trump. (laughs) <laughs> um so i i think i think actually alex drew a distinction between banning him short term and banning him forever uh and peter uh used the term lame duck i think my personal perspective generally is quite consequentialist uh i i believe in outcomes but i take kind of a, a midterm kind of outcomes based thing where where i do care about you know certain rules and duties only because i think that they are good ways to you know reach good outcomes in the midterm um So I think personally, in the short term, the damage to democracy was far too dangerous. Like if we allowed the risk of uh, inciting a proper gunfight with the National Guard, there'd be no coming back from that sort of damage to American democracy. Not to mention the fact that, you know, it it would kill people probably. Um, And I also see the point that it hadn't even occurred to me that it was a problem of quote unquote censoring the government because Trump is a lame duck. You know, he's technically still president and you know a lot of presidents do some important stuff in their final month or whatever de facto biden was president the moment he won the election right like so i don't really see it as silencing him and actually i think as i think peter pointed out at the moment there's a total regulatory failure on controlling official use of of um, as in governmental representative use of social media Government representatives have to follow all sorts of rules for all sorts of uh, interactions, say, for example, the stock market. And the fact that we haven't worked out the best way is not an excuse to not try and introduce any regulation around the way that government members can use these. I mean, this this is the way that we work this stuff out, by trying things, seeing what works. So the long term is a difficult question, though, because if we start thinking, OK, should Trump be banned forever? I think it sets, it sets a weird moral marker. So... You know, case in point, you know, a lot of people have pointed out like the Ayatollah is on Twitter and Trump isn't mm. um, like, what does what does that say? Um, which I actually think is a legitimate question is it's the same as when people say like, oh, I'm a vegan or vegetarian. Um, that's a weird analogy to make, but wait for it. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny because you set down a moral mark that saying I am at least this moral. And then suddenly it, it kind of draws into into question, like everything you do that you know, isn't quite in keeping with that moral standard is a bit like, well, that's not very coherent, is it? Or not very consistent, at least. And then the other thing is that fundamentally, I do think that in the midterm, as a principle, it's difficult. And social media has shaped discourse in a harmful way, which maybe means that this is just a, a fantasy that no longer exists. But I really do want to believe that the way to stop misinformation, is something in the path of letting people realize that they're wrong, And they can't uh, feel free to say and think, but realise when they say and think stupid things. And I I just really want the... A part of me wants to believe that, you know, in the long term, we shouldn't have to ban Trump because we should have a rational society that realises, you know, X, Y, Z that he's saying is ridiculous or offensive. But, you know, the realist in me is like, this person will disrupt the political cycle every four years. Every four years, it's going to be, oh God, is he going to... Is this it? Is he going to run? And I can see a practical argument to silencing this one person. That was a really long answer. Basically, in this context, yes. In the long term, less clear. And do I think that Twitter, Facebook, etc., did it for the right reasons? Absolutely not. If they,
0: gave, <laughs>
1: two, if they gave two craps about this, it would come with, you know, changes to their algorithms and stuff. They're not doing it because it's right. They're doing it because it's the right time to to swap sides.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's very true. You made a lot of interesting points there, mate. I think... The one about content moderation and, and the sort of means in which we achieve this is is, is really interesting. I enjoyed talking to Alex about that um, because content moderation is a really tricky game to get into. And he seems to suggest it's actually not so much about that. It's about fixing the mechanisms of distribution. The platforms have, as he said, just changed the way that we communicate and made it really, really easy to amplify just crazy stuff. Not just easy to amplify, but like they drive it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the, the tech companies clearly profit from that. Engagement is basically what they seek. Having people like Trump on the platform has been fantastic for Twitter's engagement particularly, right? But the damage that was done uh, on the 6th of January Capitol Hill, really, I think it was a bit of a moment of reckoning for them. And and part of the reason they finally sort of came to make this action was because people are, from both sides, starting to hold them responsible for, for damage. And They've got away mm. with a lot of things for, for a long time now. Uh, but I think this really brought yep. it home. So yeah, I think it's in their, their own profit-seeking interest as well to start to do something about it because it's going to mm. ultimately put
1: people off. Don't get me wrong. The the attempted insurrection, interesting use of that word, to really make it like politically driving. You know, that the use of that as the reason is interesting because, you know, if, if people are saying, oh, we don't want violence, etc. you know, strict number terms, more people were killed... In Black Lives Matter protests, by you know opposition people, particularly, and Trump was tweeting all over that. Right? Why why was that not supporting violence that actually led to death? The timing is highly suspect. Yeah. I could I could see I could see the argument that to be fa- to be fair to them, I could see the argument that like at that point you can't silence the the president of the United States while he's
0: not a lame duck. And that leads to an interesting question about is this a slippery slope? Right? Like, I think the timing is what makes that highly significant and. My argument would be it probably isn't it certainly isn't in the case of that big question, are we censoring the government? I wouldn't say so, however, yeah. you made that point about laying down a moral marker, and I think now it's put these platforms in a slightly more awkward position they've They've done at least this. What are the implications in terms of what they might have to do next? I absolutely agree with that, and then I think the kind of the
1: follow on so so you referred to a slippery slope there, right slippery slope is interesting i mean it's worth pointing out slippery slope is. Literally, an example of a logical fallacy, right? I, I, I really don't like slippery slope arguments generally. Uh, I mean, the, the fear of overcorrecting is not a reason to to avoid correcting, right? So, like, mm. we shouldn't free slaves because it's a slippery slope to them enslaving us, right? Isn't ridiculous? <laughs> it, it, it is it? ridiculous its a ridiculous argument, right?
0: Yeah, I can see that. It, it implies the case that things will unravel beyond a point of control. But that's probably not true in this case, because actually, Mm. I think on many sides, people are calling for the platforms to exercise more responsibility, more ethical Mm. control over what's passed through them. Um, I just wanted to touch on one last point, which is the question of free speech. Um, we didn't give it a whole lot of time in the interviews and actually, to some extent, I think that's fair. I did read a lot of stuff when we were researching this about was this banning of Trump a violation of free speech? A lot of comments about the First Amendment, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess we were kind of driving at that when we were asking um, Alex in particular if these companies are utilities, because that implies that people should have like a right to access them and use them. But not What's necessarily that- not necessarily a free speech right to it. Sure. It doesn't necessarily have to be a right to free speech per se, but if they're utilities, then there's a sense that people have a right to access and use them. Yeah, Uh, I think think it's it's fair to say that banning Trump wasn't a violation of his free speech because access to platform and freedom of speech aren't the same things. Where the lines Mm. blur, though, is the fact that these companies are massive and influential. And, you know, we've we've talked a lot already about the influence they have over public discourse. So.
1: Yeah, it's basically McDonald's can refuse to serve me, but what happens when McDonald's is the only place I can buy
0: food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's actually quite... What a nice uh, synthesis of those metaphors we had from earlier. Good job. Yeah, great. Guys, get in touch. Let us know what you think. We'll be back soon with, with new content and possibly new guests. Cool. Lastly, Ant, before you go, what's the difference between Trump and a flying pig? The letter F. Oh, you stole the punch. <laughs> Leave that one to percolate with you listeners. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's great. Okay. Take care. Thanks very much, guys.
3: Have a good day. Bye.